Have you ever had a person counter the good news that Jesus has died for sins with the protest that they believe everyone is basically good? We'll begin answering that protest today. Welcome everyone, this is the Bread of Life, and I'm Joel Van Hoogen. I'm the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and I'm the Executive Director of the International Outreach and Disciple-Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. Our missionaries are working to equip and engage the body of Christ from Ecuador to Bulgaria and from Cambodia to Canada. You can learn more about the effective manner in which we're raising up national evangelists, disciple makers, and church planters by going to traincpe.org. Now for our lesson. It's taken from 2 Kings 5.1. It's an account of a man who is a good man, but his goodness doesn't account for much. We've said before that Elisha's name means God is salvation, and Elisha's miracles are like these living, actualized parables of God's grace and God's willingness to restore people to himself, to reconcile people to himself, and to pour upon sinful people his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And Elisha was expressing this over and over again. And here we see that Elisha now is not only expressing it among the people of Israel, the covenant people of God, but Elisha now gives this wonderful expression to a man named Naaman, who is the commander of the armies of Israel's sworn enemies in Syria. And the first thing we're going to note here, and we're just going to get right off to our message here, the first thing that we're going to note was that Naaman was a good man. Naaman was a good man. And when we say good, what we mean is that his life proved to bring advantages to others. The essence of goodness is that it provides and seeks to bring an advantage to those around us. We'll note here that Naaman was a good man, that he was a person whose life brought an advantage to others, and that's the essence of goodness. Goodness is what you do with your life that brings advantage to those around you. When the Bible says that God is good, it's speaking of the fact, and the Bible says this over and over again, that God is good to all. It's speaking to a character or essence of God in which God seeks the advantage of his creation and those that he has made in his image. And if you were to conduct a poll and say you were to ask 100 people whether they thought they were good or not, you would find that 98, 99, sometimes 100% of them will say, well, yeah, I think I'm basically a good person. And not only that, if you ask them to give some evidence for why they believe that, they would have the reasons. They could give you different expressions of how they were motivated by a desire to help others. They could tell you stories in which they had practiced goodness towards another individual. They could give accounts of good deeds that were expressed in order to bring an advantage to somebody. Just before you ask the question, maybe they bought somebody coffee in the line behind them at the coffee kiosk. You never know. They, they have these kinds of stories, but they also could draw upon what they did in their own homes with their children and how they've sought to bring advantage to their friends and their family members and their neighbors. Naaman was an idolater. He worshipped the Syrian god Rimen, which was just another name. It was a Syrian name for the god Baal. And yet, if you were to ask this idolatrous Naaman if he thought that he was a good person, he would say yes. And our passage actually affords us with plenty of information that would validate his judgment of himself. It tells us things that seem to verify that he was indeed an individual who had brought significant advantage to those around him, and that his status was recognized by those in his own country. He was the commander of the armies of Syria. He was at the top of his profession 
as a soldier. He had acquired this position through the ranks, fulfilling his duties and carrying them out in such a way that his leadership and his commitment had been recognized and rewarded by his king in leadership. He was also, it says here, great before the eyes of the king of Syria. That is that his actions and leadership had not undermined the trust of the king, but increased that trust to the point of highest regard. The king held him in great honor and great esteem. There might be some individuals who become a general and a captain because they just have certain pragmatic skills, but the king has his eye looking out the corner because he's concerned about the individual. He doesn't see him as a great person, just a person who has some great skills, but this is not the case with Naaman. He was considered honorable by the king is what it says as well. The perceived greatness of this man wasn't a recognition merely of some kind of military genius. It was a recognition of a character that held him and lifted him up to high regard. He had the king's respect. He had the respect of his nation. And he conducted himself in a manner that was worthy of that respect. It says here as well that he was a mighty man of valor. That is to say that he, he was demonstrably brave and determined and daring in battle. There is, among the Jewish traditions, you can find back as far as Josephus, that Naaman actually was just an archer, and that he was the archer that drew near to King Ahab when Syria was battling the king of Israel, Ahab, and that he is the one who drew his bow and shot the arrow that struck Ahab and brought him down and killed him and brought defeat to the army of Israel by the army of Syria. And it was through that valiant act that he eventually was promoted to the position of being a commander. Well, we don't know if that's just tradition or not, but we can't say this, that he didn't just have a groomed image. He didn't buy into his position. It was real and had been tested and had been proven on the battlefield and in leadership. So much so that the Bible then tells us that God had sovereignly rewarded his leadership by granting him victories over the enemies of Syria. God had done this. Naaman, at this point in time in his life, would have attributed all his victories and all that he accomplished to his god, Rimen. But the Bible lets us in on a secret here. God's word tells us that the sovereign God of Israel had a part in this victory. That it was the God of Israel that worked through Naaman, his recognition of Naaman, in order to grant benefit or blessing and victory to Syria and the king of Syria. It would seem as if God was validating the honor of this man before his king, this good man. He was at the top of his profession. He was great in the eyes of his king and the nation. He was honorable. He was valiant. He was successful at his trade. And his success had been given to him by God, whether he knew it or not. And so you might ask, Naaman, do you consider yourself to be a good person? And he would say, yeah, I think when you add that up, it's kind of a good person, bringing advantage to my nation. Yes, I think that's the case. And so here's what I want to concede with people, and I want to concede before you, and it's this. People have within them a basic goodness. All people do. It may not be consistently expressed, but there is an instinct in most people that is what we would call good. After all, people are made in the image of a good God. And just as individuals made in the image of a loving God are capable of loving, and people who are made in the image of a just God have impulses for justice that actually inform the way nations are governed and the way they live their lives and treat one another, and just as individuals have impulses for greatness and aspirations for greatness because they're made in the image of God, 
Just as those attributes are mirrored in the soul of a man, so is this attribute as well. God is good. God seeks the advantage of others. God has made us in the image of his goodness as well, and so man has got a basic essential goodness within him. He has an instinct to do what is good, and, and we should recognize that, and we should actually encourage it. In fact, we do. We, we actually encourage people to be more loving, and we encourage people to be kind, and we encourage people to act justly because we understand these traits are traits that uniquely represent man made in the image of God, and so we should encourage people when they're good and to be good whenever and wherever they can. And we should recognize it and give honor to it wherever we see it. This divine trait is not the property of the Christian alone. This divine trait is not the, to be found in Christian societies alone. They're uncovered wherever a person is, even if that person knows little about God or God is only some vague impression on the back of his mind or his soul. Still, because that person is made in the image of God, it shows up in his or her behavior, no matter how it might be muted, although it might not be a pristine expression, it might be clouded with compromise and significant character flaws, yet it still is there, advertising it that somehow, in some way, there's something remarkably noble and, yes, good in all people. It's there. My father had a story that he liked to tell, and I heard him tell the story a number of times. I know I've told it to you as individuals before, the last time I heard him tell the story was when he was in the hospital and he was dying and he was sharing it with a friend and the story goes like this. There were two boys in the grade school that he was growing up with that used to chase him after school and if they caught him because he was a couple years younger than them, they would pull his shirt off of his back and they would strips of uh, twitches from the trees around him and they'd beat him on the back until they'd raise welts all over his body. And they were picking on him on a regular basis and these two boys belonged to a family that lived along the mill district in the town where he lived, and it was, they were a particularly corrupt family, and they all banded together, and everybody gave them wide berth because they weren't good people. They weren't honest. They were corrupt. They were thieves. They were robbers. You name it. They were dangerous people. Well, the occasion came when my father was getting ready to take a bath on a Saturday. He was taking his shirt off in the bathroom when his father walked in and saw the welts all over his back. His father immediately asked him how that happened, and my father broke down and began to cry and tell him the story of how these boys were picking on him and beating him. And the next thing he knows, he's in the car with his father driving down to the mill district. When they get down to the mill district, the father turns and says, my grandpa, you, you stay in the car. Now, I'll tell you a little bit of my grandpa in a second, my own experience with my grandpa. But my grandpa says to him, now you stay in the car. And my grandpa goes to the first house. There's a row of homes. And he pounds on the door. My dad sees a man answer the door and he sees his father speaking with some animation to him and the next thing he knows, the man kind of pushes my, my grandfather back and closes the door. Next thing, my grandfather's trying to open the door up and shake the doorknob and he can't get it and then he's pounding on the door and then he, he jumps back and he starts yelling at the people in the house and my father sees my grandfather run between the two houses to the back of the house and apparently he doesn't get there in time before that door is shut because he comes around to the front of that house and starts trying to get into that house and he's pounding on that door and they won't answer and the next thing, my grandfather's standing in the middle of the street and he's starting to rail at everybody along this row of homes come on out he says I'll take you on one at a time I'll take you on all at once it doesn't matter I'm going to tear you limb from limb I'm going to I'm going to and he starts basically describing what he's going to do with parts of their anatomy you know and how he's going to destroy them and kill them and I'll teach you to treat my son in this way to teach your children to treat them. and he goes on and on and my father's telling the story I'd heard the story a number of times when my dad was done telling the story, his eyes glistened. Then he choked back emotion. 
And he said, I, I was so proud of my dad that day. It sounds awful, doesn't it? But it was almost godlike, wasn't it? He was like a god to me. Leave it to a little child to see what adults will miss. We see a, a man who's practically mad and a lunatic. And by the way, when I was a little boy, the same grandfather, when he heard that I was being picked on, tried to get me to take brass knuckles to my grade school. <laughs> I wouldn't do it, but... People saw a madman and a lunatic. The child saw something godlike, something good and wonderful. Someone who was willing to risk his life to confront bad people, to bring an advantage to his child. This is something we can't miss. People won't miss it. They'll take note of it in their own life. They'll bring to mind events and manners and expressions in which they know they've done something good and they want to do good things. They'll have stories to tell from their own lives or stories to tell of their forebears and their family members and the good things and the wonderful things and the sacrifices they made. And the fact is today, one of the reasons that we don't like all this protest that's going on in our nation is because we know that there's something good about our past and there's something good in our nation. And we know there have been good people who have done good things to bring us to this place. And it's proper and it's honorable to recognize the goodness in others. And so, let me say this again. Naaman was a good man. And he was recognized by the people of his nation as being a good man. Here's the second point. Naaman was also a leper. Thank you for joining the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this message, go to our website, breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.